so common for children to be murdered in Palestine, they are walking around with notes in their pockets. Should be working on cursive for cursive's sake, not for the ability to write a will. In Arabic, it's all cursive. 14-year-old Amr al-Khamur, murdered by occupation forces from Amr's letter, he said, my friends and my loved ones, do not forget me and do not leave my mother alone. I wish that people would think and wake up to realize that we are under a Zionist occupation. I wish for the coming generations that freedom will be in their grasp. Share a quote of Hamdi Abudeya, one of the martyrs. Being free is one of the most precious things we humans have. Only those who are deprived of freedom appreciate it. We wish that all our prisoners are released and their families are well. Zionist settlers left graffiti on the wall of the Armenian covenant. Death to Arabs, death to Christians, and death to the Armenians. Feels like they're covering all their bases. It's like Oprah, but for death, where it's like, you get a death, you get a death, you get a death. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you tweeted without any sarcasm or irony that, quote, Zionism is the most inspiring liberation movement in the history of mankind, which means you have literally not heard of any liberation movement. (laughs) And your name is Arson, which is a little too on the nose for a Zionist. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. In fairness, he's got 22 retweets, so I don't think this tweet is going very far. He also calls himself a breakfast connoisseur. Oh, excuse me. Which is a weird way of telling people you're an incel. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the palestinepod. Find us also on Patreon, where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional podcasts per week called the Patreon Pod, which is a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. I saw a video of IOF forces in the trenches of Ukraine talking about the situation is hard. But we're holding, despite the enemy's constant barrage of tanks, aviation, and infantry waves. Imagine you are a soldier in this conscription, occupation, illegal army, and you're like, the war crimes that I'm doing here are not good enough. And he's like, we are going to, you guessed it, Ukraine. So there's actual Israeli soldiers in Ukraine right now? Right. Fighting side by side with Nazis. That is so interesting because the first story I wanted to talk about, the New York Times reporting on January 17th that the U.S. Pentagon has sent American arms stored in Israel to Ukraine. There are Nazis in Russia killing Nazis in Ukraine, which as a Jew is hilarious, right? Okay. It's like (laughs) they are dropping bombs on each other. And I'm like, you shouldn't have gotten that swastika tattoo, should you? That's what we call in the business 
a win-win. Yeah, but the fact that there's U.S. weapons in Ukraine, that we knew, right? The fact that they're being sent from Israel, <clears throat> this is something that I have just learned. But it makes sense, right? Because we always talk about how Israel is an American military base, right, in the Middle East. And it's yep. a strategic place for them to, you know, keep their weapons and apparently keep extra personnel that they can then ship off to other countries too. According to the New York Times article, Israel has consistently refused to supply weapons to Ukraine out of fear of damaging relations with Moscow and initially expressed concerns about appearing complicit in arming Ukraine if the Pentagon drew its munitions from the stockpile located there. Yeah, they are often concerned about how people think about them. (laughs) Yeah, right. That is why they demolish elders' houses every day is because they are so concerned about that public image. That's why they they snipe journalists in their neck because they are concerned about their public image. The United States so far has sent or pledged to send to Ukraine just over 1,155,000,000 miles shells. A sizable portion of that has come from the stockpiles in Israel and South Korea, a senior U.S. official has said, speaking on the condition of anonymity. Yeah, that's one where you don't really want to go on record, huh? <laughs> you don't want to be the guy talking about the shells coming into Ukraine. According to two Senior Israeli officials, the U.S. has promised Israel that it will replenish what it takes from the warehouses in its territory and would immediately ship ammunition in a severe emergency. What could a severe emergency? Like, they have a stranglehold on all of Palestine. What could the emergency be? It's it's insane. Because truly, the Zionist reaction is, but you're taking all of our weapons. What What will we do if we don't have these munitions? We'll just have to use our nukes, I guess. Like... Yeah. What, what, what do you mean? Like, you have all this other stuff left over. The thought of not being able to massacre people at any moment is, like, terrifying to terrifying. design a structure. They're like, Daddy, Daddy, we need more weapons or else we will... Only be out. able to commit genocide a little bit. They're like, that won't do. The greatest liberation movement mankind has ever known won't stand for it. What an insane thing to say, right? It's not a liberation movement. You don't decolonize with a bulldozer. Some more depressing news coming out of Masafariyatta. An illegal Israeli settler has tried to run over four Palestinian children in Masafariyatta on Wednesday, January 18th. Mahmouda Abu Tabih said that he, while he and his four children were in Ain al-Baida, a settler drove a tractor at speed towards the youngsters and tried to run them over. Mamdouh said that he managed to get them out of the way just in time. The children, who are between one and seven years old, were terrified. One and seven years old. Just marinate on that for a second. There's a, I mean, I don't, one and seven years old. And settlers in Masafariyata are trying to run over literal babies for their liberation movement, right? That's all for the liberation movement. Because, you know, what better, way, what better way to liberate yourself than to run over a one-year-old baby, right? Because that's what totally how, normal people trying to liberate themselves do. How dare you accuse us of blood libel? Excuse me, I have to try to bulldoze this baby. <laughs> you know, this is one of those stories where at least the children are alive. Right. Yeah, that's why it's okay. It's why that's it's why, fire. yeah, the, at least they're alive because, you know, the apartheid state has been murdering Palestinians at incredible rates in recent weeks. And every day we wake up to another story of another young brother or sister who's been murdered. Now, 
we have, you know, just a near miss story. So it actually is the good news this week. But the stories out of Masafariata are so depressing precisely because the settlers that are in that area are praised ideological settlers, right? Because in apartheid Israel, you have people who settle there for different reasons. Some people are there just because free money, right? And everybody loves free money. Free Some money. came from South Africa because the apartheid spigot stopped over there, but it's still flowing in Palestine. And some are there because ideologically they're totally crazed and will do anything and commit any crimes, including murdering children, to be there because they think that's what God wants them to do. And they all are settling this land together. And they're all the same. They're the same as the ones who are like, we want our, I want my daughter to be able to have a gay relationship or marry a Palestinian. Like, that's the same. You're just weird, but different. A little, you know, it's like same, same, but different is how they describe it in Thailand. <laughs> so even though there is an egg shortage, this Mr. Potato Head looking individual, Jonathan Greenblatt, the head of the ADL, he has been on a tizzy recently because of a ADL survey that they put like their own survey asked people a question whether they believe that Israel treats Palestinians like Nazis treated Jews and 40% of Americans said that they did and it was their own question right so it's like they they phrased it in such a way where they wouldn't really be happy with either answer but the answer that they got is that 4 out of 10 Americans understand the facts of the ground in Palestine and you can see on Twitter, there are these Hasbara agents who are truly melting down. You can just tell that they feel that they're losing control of the narrative. And it's a very scary situation for them. But also, it's incredibly like disingenuous the way that the survey was done. I saw a tweet from Rafi Magarik that says, It's wildly irresponsible for the ADL to run together polling about anti-Semitism with polling about Israel. It is a brazen attempt to remove Israel's behavior from the sphere of political debate and paint critics of Israel as Jew haters. And then I saw another tweet that was like, it's from Max Berger that said, since the creation of Zionism, millions of Jews were opposed to the creation of an explicitly Jewish state in historic Palestine, where all of those Jews, anti-Semites, are anti-Zionist Jews today. And Jonathan Greenblatt didn't respond, but I know that he does think that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news on the Palestine pod. Breaking news. Okay, I'm going to really do that. The New York Times. <laughs> 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 breaking news says the person who doesn't have to edit this <laughs> you can delete the whole breaking news thing nope 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 we're keeping that in because that is a hilarious interlude <laughs> <laughs> on january 19th the new york times and other outlets reported that harvard reversed course on the decision to rescind Ken Roth's fellowship at the Harvard Kennedy School. A letter was issued. My decision on Mr. Roth last summer was based on my evaluation of his potential contributions to the school. 
He says, in the case of Mr. Roth, I now believe I made an error in my decision not to appoint him as fellow. I'm sorry that the decision inadvertently cast doubt on the mission of the school and our commitment to open debate in ways I had not intended and do not believe to be true. He also said, first, let me emphasize that my decision was not influenced by donors. Which is exactly what you would say if your decision was influenced by donors. The he speech said, was written by donors. <laughs> <laughs> donors do not affect our consideration of academic matters. That's just <clears throat> false. But it's interesting because the excuse that he gives is basically like, my decision on Mr. Roth initially was based on my evaluation of his potential contributions. He's basically saying like, this guy's an idiot and he's not going to contribute yeah. anything. Like that's going to be the way out of this is to be like, Imagine I thought he was just bad. attacking the man's record. You know what I mean? Like, like, what a wild, it would be more honest for him to be like, listen, the Zionist pressed me. I am sorry. I listened to the people. My bad. But instead, he was like, this guy's a fucking goof, but I'm going to appoint him because I was wrong. Yeah, very weird. It sounds like the type of statement somebody makes when they have a gun to their head. You know what I mean? And they're just like, I'll take all the blame. It wasn't it wasn't your fault. It was my fault. It wasn't the fault of, of money. It wasn't influence. It was my fault. One of the other articles mentioned that Kenneth Roth's father fled <laughs> Nazi Germany as a boy. This just Yeah, he's Jewish. I messed that up on the last episode, I think, but I think I cut okay. it. I'm not sure. Well, it just speaks to the the difficulties that Jewish people have standing up against Zionism. I saw an article that was like, if Kenneth Roth can't criticize the state of Israel, then nobody can. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we've been trying to say that that we've been trying to say that. Yeah. And guess what they've called us? It's not very nice names. Not our given names, not our governments. <laughs> In UN news, more than 90 countries have voted to condemn Israel's punitive measures against Palestinians. The Israeli government had slapped a series of sanctions on the Palestinian Authority after it had approached the International Court of Justice for a ruling on Israeli abuses of human rights. And earlier this week, more than 90 countries expressed their quote unquote deep concern in a statement issued against Israel's punitive measures against the Palestinian people. The UN General Assembly voted 87 to 26 with 53 abstentions in favor of the resolution calling for the International Court of Justice to give an opinion on the legality of Israeli policies in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem. I'll save you guys all the trouble. It's all illegal. It's all legal. Everybody knows it. Everybody's been saying it. All the work has been done. There's books and books and books and academic papers and rulings on this. I mean, you can just add another one to the pile, right? Is it really changing what we're doing here? I think the next step is obvious. We need action, not more papers. Yeah, people are like, I still don't know what's going on. And it's like, is that possible? How is that possible? It's really not. It's it's really not, especially at the UN level. I mean, come on. They have they have troves of documents. They've got they've got entire basement rooms, floors probably dedicated to the question of Palestine. They've got buildings dedicated to the question of Palestine. I feel like if you don't have the internet, like even the Amish have still heard about the occupation of Palestine. For sure. For sure. I mean, they're the ones who like when I was at school in Iowa, it was it was like the corn fed, like rural folks that were like, oh, you're Palestinian. Oh, we love Palestinians. Like they were like the Unitarians. They were the Presbyterians. They were the ones who were like going to Palestine to visit Bethlehem. And they were they loved us. Right. All that to say that everybody can can find out about this issue if they want to, especially at the UN level. They have no excuse to just Add to the paper trail. Earlier this week on Monday, January 16th, Ahmed 
Kahla, 41, from the village of Ramun, which is near Ramallah, was killed by the occupation at approximately 8 a.m. Him and his 20-year-old son, Qusay, were on their way to work in their car when they were stopped by occupation soldiers at a quote-unquote flying military checkpoint near the neighboring town of Yabrud. At approximately 8.30 a.m., as a line of waiting cars was carrying impatient families grew longer, drivers became frustrated with the soldiers who were stopping and searching the vehicles for 15 minutes at a time. Some of the drivers began to honk their horns in protest. According to Ahmed's son, Qusay, that's when they first hit us with sound grenades. They pepper sprayed us. And after the soldiers threw a stun grenade, which hit their car, Ahmed closed the car door as soldiers continued yelling while throwing a line of tire spikes to impede any attempted escape. Remember, all of this is in response to Palestinians who are on their land, in a line at a flying checkpoint, on their way to work, late, trying to get a move on because they have lives to live, somewhere to be, a place to go to earn money for their families. Ahmed's son was taken out of the car and detained near the checkpoint, and both him and his father were then pepper sprayed. The son recalls that Ahmed's hands were flailing, possibly from the pain of the burn on his flesh. Afterwards, the occupation soldiers shot him. Son then asked the soldier around him where his father was, and the soldier replied to me, your father is dead. The son didn't believe the soldier, waiting anxiously until he regained his eyesight so that he could check on his father because he had been pepper sprayed. And he ended up being taken to a hospital for oxygen and insisted on grabbing his father's phone and ID to keep because, of course, his father's body was then separated from him. And who knows when they'll get him back, if they ever do. I think this story just illustrates just the the cheapness of Palestinian life. We are murdered as if it's just a daily mundane event. Father and son on their way to work. Oh, the line's a little bit long at the checkpoint. Let's just, you know, beep our horn, get it moving. And that is enough for the father to be murdered instantly, just in cold blood. And the son and the father are there. They've both been pepper sprayed. They've been taken out of the car. The son's like, what's happening? What just happened? Your father's dead. That's it. It's just that simple. Our life doesn't mean anything more than that. It's deleted in an instant. Earlier this week as well, Samir Aslan was murdered by the occupation in Qalandia refugee camp while trying to protect his son, Ramzi, 16, from arrest. Another father trying to protect his son's story. The occupation arrested Ramzi and extended his detention for nine days, preventing him from mourning with his family the murder of his father. Also earlier this week, Omar Hamur, 14, was murdered by Zionist forces during a raid into the Dhesha refugee camp, making him the 14th martyr so far this year. He was shot in the head and killed during a pre-dawn raid on January 16th. This is the same refugee camp that Adam Ayad was murdered at, that we reported last week. It's a constant battleground of resistance for Palestinians in this refugee camp. They are constantly on guard and could be murdered at any time. Imagine growing up like that. You know what I mean? Imagine your daily reality is that the kids around you are dropping because the occupation army just murders people wantonly. How does that allow you to intake the world, right? What is it that you see? 
What are your motivations? What are your possibilities? There's only a few things that could happen when your entire existence has been scarred by the military occupation. You could either like shut down and deal with like you have a lot of trauma, you have anxiety, or you fight back. Right? You're really only allowing two options. On January 17th, Hamdi Abudeya, 40 years old, was shot and killed by Zionist occupation forces while resisting in a village north of Hebron. They kidnapped his body, withholding it from his family, making him the 15th martyr so far this year. We got a comment on the last YouTube video that was like, you know, there are so many more martyrs than you're able to cover. And that's true. Like, we don't want it to be that way. But we literally cannot keep up with the apartheid states, the illegal occupations body count. They murder people so frequently that as a weekly podcast, we are unable to keep up with the list. And we certainly apologize because we can't shine as much light as we should on every story. Every story is important. Every person is important. I just want to share a quote of Hamdi Abudeya, one of the martyrs we just mentioned. He said, being free is one of the most precious things we humans have. Only those who are deprived of freedom appreciate it. We wish that all our prisoners are released and their families are well. And if you're a reasonable human being, you agree with that statement. It's so common for children to be murdered in Palestine that they are walking around with wills and notes in their pockets because at any time they could be struck down. And so they want to at least have a message for the people because they know that if they're just struck down and they have no will, they have no testament, they have no written statement, they might be glossed over. They might not get reported on. They might not even make the news because so many children, so many people are murdered by the Zionist occupation in Palestine. That's kind of a lot of pressure to learn how to write early. You should be working on cursive for cursive's sake, not for the ability to write a will. Yeah, well... In Arabic, it's all cursive. Damn, that's a good joke. The IMEU reported that 15-year-old Adam Ayad and 14-year-old Amr al-Khamur, who were murdered by occupation forces, had notes in their pocket. We shared parts of Adam's letter last week, but I'd like to share from Amr's letter that he left. He said, my friends and my loved ones, do not forget me and do not leave my mother alone. I wish that people would think and wake up to realize that we are under a Zionist occupation. I wish for the coming generations that freedom will, will be in their grasp. Most kids out here are doing TikTok dances. Kids in Palestine are having to write notes about the future generations who they hope will find freedom. And through their own sacrifices, through their own efforts, through putting their body on the line, throwing their body on the machine, they hope to provide just a modicum of space to breathe. Yeah. Sometimes it's not even that, though. Sometimes it's just I was walking down the street. And I think both are egregious in their own ways. You're a target just by virtue of being Palestinian. And your childhood doesn't mean anything. Your age doesn't mean anything. Whether you're a girl or a boy, it doesn't mean anything. Not uh, in the progressive way. Right. Yeah, right. If you're one years old, you're good to be run over by a tractor driven by a Zionist in Masafariyata. 
from Florida. It's always so hard to know where to go from here when we share these things. Somewhere else, huh? Somewhere else. That's like a that's like a, a wise, wise words from like an old guy, you know, at the end of the bar. Like, where are we going? Somewhere else. Like, you know. I wouldn't follow an old guy from a bar, but yeah, I get the example. <laughs> Zionist settlers left graffiti on the wall of the Armenian Covenant in occupied Jerusalem. There are messages that say death to Arabs, death to the Christians, and death to the Armenians. Feels like they're covering all their bases, right? Pretty much everybody, death to pretty much, it's like Oprah, but for death, where it's like, you get a death, you get a death, you get a death. <laughs> <laughs> under under your seat you'll find a bomb okay <laughs> yeah definitely oprah energy you're definitely right about this and it's just like so crazy to be vandalizing ancient religious relics right like imagine your argument for being an occupying jerusalem is we are the people who are meant to take care of this land and that is why we are going to deface all of the property and spray everything with skunk water and demolish these structures, which are historic in nature. They're literally excavating under an entire neighborhood in Jerusalem looking for some temple from thousands of years ago. And it's created a situation where they hit a water pipe and the entire neighborhood flooded. I learned about this by watching Adnan Barks. Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. He did like a full tour where the whole neighborhood now is built on these wooden planks. The Zionists are excavating ground underneath Al-Aqsa trying to discover something ancient. Basically, they're just fucking up the way of life for Palestinians. There's one guy who owns a cafe, I believe. It's like a store of some sort. And he has a underground tunnel that leads all the way to Al-Aqsa. And he was offered a huge sum of money. I want to say roughly like $40 million USD to sell. And he said, absolutely not, because he knows that the Zionists will use it to further excavate the land under Al-Aqsa. And the neighborhoods are collapsing because that's what happens when you take the ground out from underneath them. It's sort of like that uh, old lollipop thing where it's like, how many licks does it take to get to the center? For the Zionists, they're like, how many bulldozers does it take to ruin an entire neighborhood? And the answer remains... One. Just one, really. <laughs> right. it's, 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 it's a low overhead for them. Last September, Zionist authorities approved plans to build a new Jewish-only settlement aimed to complete the tight encirclement of Bet Safafa with Jewish-only settlements. On January 17th, Jalal, a.k.a. Jojo, tweeted that the Zionist forces raided Beit Safafa to destroy a two-story Palestinian home as a part of completing this Jewish-only settlement project. Somehow, Israeli occupation authorities always have space to build great expansions and towering heights for Jewish settlers, but can only demolish for Palestinians. Daniel Slenderman tweets the thread. He says, very disturbing development. Yesterday I learned of the beginning of the planning process of a large settlement expansion on the Hebron Road in East Jerusalem. 2010 new units, 1,300 hotel rooms in 30 stories on the border between East Jerusalem and Bethlehem. A tweet by a Zionist that was like, 
what other place has a Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard or whatever in it? Imagine having a sign for Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard on your apartheid road, right? That's one of those Jewish-only roads that Palestinians can't go on. That's, what, that's, that's, Martin, that's MLK Jr.'s dream, right? He, he wanted separate roads for people. That is the epitome of Zionism today, yeah. as it looks today. Yeah. Is just trying to make the square peg fit into the circle hole, and it's just not working. He was like, I may not make it to the mountaintop because there's a sign that says black people can't go, but they will name it after me, and that is important. Yes. In other news, United States officials have returned a 2,700-year-old looted artifact to the Palestinian government in an official ceremony in Bethlehem. The cosmetic spoon, which was carved from ivory between 800 and 700 BC, was handed back by George Knoll, head of U.S. Office of Palestinian Affairs. I gotta be honest, I've never heard the name George Knoll. Does my boy make appearances, or is he just somebody they trot out when they gotta return stolen spoons? <laughs> he returned it to the Palestinian Authority's tourism and antiques minister, Rula Maya. However, the single artifact being returned to Palestinians is a fraction of the stolen items owed to them. It's just one spoon? It's one spoon, I believe. Okay. Well, you got to start somewhere. Tell me why Secretary Blinken used it to do heroin. <laughs> I thought you were going to say eat cereal, but okay, no. cool. We can do heroin. That guy doesn't look like he eats anything. <laughs> that guy looks like food passes right through him, <laughs> like in yeah. Casper. Look, I, I don't know about Secretary Casper because that was a great reference. I, I am familiar with Casper. I am not familiar with Secretary Blinken's dietary habits. Palestinians have had a lot of stuff stolen from us the land is not only it it's also all the stuff that was on the land palestinians will use the spoon to dig out of this ancient prison they're in <laughs> little reference to our friends in the gilboa prison escape free them all yes free them all folks that has been another episode of the palestine pod thank you all so much for listening Check out our full episodes and sources, www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at thepalestinepod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And look for us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash palestinepod. That has been another episode of the pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.